that's appropriate. Well done. Um, I did want to come up and, and uh, introduce Ken here for a minute, although most of you know Ken. He's in uh, a couple times a year. Ken is our regional leader in our denomination, and he's been our regional leader for the past eight years, and so he's usually out a couple times a year um, to meet with the team and care for us and lead us in some exercises and then preaches here on Sunday mornings as well. What you wouldn't know about Ken is Ken also serves bivocationally, so he was a lead pastor for a long time, transitioned uh, into a bivocational role to make room on his team for for more guys to come on staff there and so he serves bivocationally at his church and in this regional role so he comes serves us here this weekend does exercises with us speaks at parent youth last night preaches here this morning and then he goes back to a job this week and just picks that right back up and so i'm so grateful for the years of, of him coming in and serving us in the way that he does now i asked him to come in and speak on parenting teenagers uh, this time around because uh, i have a heart for uh, both teenagers in our church as well as those of you who are parenting teenagers and uh, i'm about to start parenting a teenager and so i need all the equipping i can get as well and so i invited ken to come in and, and teach on that subject as well but before I have him come up, this is an extended uh, comments. I just want to say uh, there's a bit of an announcement. This is actually going to be the last time that Ken and Beth come in here as a regional leader. Uh, Ken is transitioning out of that role because God in his really providential working has, has really led him and Beth into a new venture in the season in life. They came out of the pastor's conference this last fall just saying, you know, how can we serve God in this season? And uh, God brought an opportunity with a sister church in Texas. If you all remember John Payne who came here and, and led some uh, seminar for us and, and did some teaching here. Um, at his church, uh, opened up an opportunity for them to go and serve down in Texas, which was a nobody radar at all, uh, but God just made it obvious that's that what we're supposed to do, and he has just coordinated that with, with lots of evidences of, of um, confirmation as well along the way, and so they're going to be taking a role down there for a few years, which means that they'll be transitioning out of the role of, of regional leader, um, which is hard for me. Um, I have served under Ken's leadership for eight years now, and uh, it has been a huge blessing. He's the guy that I call for counsel and care. Um, they have been, him and Beth have been a pastors to me and to Jenny through different seasons and different things, different trials that we have experienced. Uh, we believe heavily in the gift of leadership here and of having a uh, covering over you, and that is what they have been for us. And so not only are they coming in on the weekends teaching and preaching, uh, but they are meeting with us. Uh, yesterday, he led our team through a, a, an evaluation of the health of our relationships of our team uh, to make sure that we're relating well. So they're constantly caring for this church behind the scenes as well, is the point I'm trying to make. And, uh, and through all that, uh, Ken and Beth have just become dear friends to our team, to me. And so I acknowledge the work of God in sending them to Texas, but I'm mad at them at the same time <laughs> because I'm losing uh, leaders and I'm losing friends. Um, but I do respect the hand of God here. And so I want to thank you guys for eight years of sacrificial service. Eight years of just coming in here and being with people. You don't just come to teach. You hang out with folks. Thank you for eight years of friendship. 
to my team and to me and Jenny. Thank you that my kids think of you as extended grandparents. You guys have been a huge blessing to me in this church. So, love you guys. Can we thank them for their years of service to us? If you're a guest with us this morning, what you need to realize is that if there's one thing we do here, it's relationships. Uh, This church is not a machine. We don't just do our programs and run it like that. Uh, We build relationally with each other and with others. And so um, people mean a lot to us here. And so we're so grateful for you guys. All right, that being said, will you come up and serve us preaching one more time as regional leader? Thank you. Thank you much. Um, It is a fascinating season. Uh, People wonder uh, how I got Beth to go along with this venture of relocating to Texas because we have 18 grandkids and and they're dear to us. And how does one leave that behind? Um, Not to mention all the friends that we have, but it was clearly the hand of the Lord and uh, fairly easy to discern as it turned out. And so we're looking forward to a few years down there. I'll be helping uh, John with a building project. So we're looking for land and uh, going to build a building, which I did at Living Hope, and then serve as a pastor as well. And it is with a view of serving sovereign grace, really, is is the heart behind it all. Uh, John serves in a church development role, a very important role, and I'm happy to help him uh, be released into the work God has for him. So, so we're not hanging up our cleats just yet, uh, getting close, but going to do one more assignment, it appears. Open to Luke 6, if you would, and a couple of comments while you open to Luke 6. We'll get to our text eventually. Uh, Just want to express gratitude that Beth and I feel for this church. Uh, In serving the various churches in the region, it's it's understandable that you grow closer to some than others. Much like you have children, you grow closer to some than others. And uh, uh, this church would be our favorite because your pastors and leaders uh, lean into us and... uh, Uh, So appreciate them and respect them, but not only them, but you as well have received us from day one and uh, been encouraging and welcoming um, in an exceptional way. So we think this is a great church and always happy to be here, always happy to be with you. It is it is actually not work. Uh, It's a pleasure. So. As Jace mentioned, uh, going to talk about parenting teens. My title is, What is the Biggest Challenge in Parenting Teens? Uh, There are are a few uh, candidates in in the process because there are many challenges. Here are a few that I have faced as a parent or a pastor. 
Uh, for instance, how do I get my teen to love God? How do I discipline my teen? How do I get my teen to have a conversation with me? I don't mean necessarily rational even. Um, how do I get them to talk to me? How do I get my teen to obey me? How do I get my teen out of bed in the morning? How do I motivate my teen? How do I get my teen to be responsible? Make a bed, neat room, chores, etc. How do I know whether to be a friend or use authority? Uh, how do I get my teen to love and serve others? How do I get my teen out of the house and keep them out? Um, how do I avoid murdering my teen? Um, which is a question that came to me on one occasion when someone was asking me about Jared, my second son, who is a pastor now. And uh, Jared, on one holiday event, uh, Christmas time, cold weather outside, uh, decided to stay in the van and not come in to the family event. And uh, his grandparents, sweet, dear people they are, came out and appealed to him, and he just dismissed them. Uh, stayed in the van. And uh, so I received questions as that, like, what? How do you deal with that level of disrespect? Like, how did you not strangle him, as in murder? And uh, I said, well, that actually wasn't even the temptation. Uh, I didn't want a sorry attitude in the house. I was fine with him being out there. He could stay out there as long as he wanted, because if I see him in the house, I'm seeing his attitude, and I wasn't particularly interested. And I note that I didn't really, there's really no, uh, I don't have any books. I don't know where to go for what you do in that situation. When a kid is foolish and thinks it's a win, um, what do you do? Uh, any advice, I'm, I'm wide open. Um, but it'd be too late for me now. Family is God's idea, and family has the potential to be a huge means of grace in our lives. But family can also bring heartache and tragedy because it's a fallen world. There, uh, no doubt, some of us uh, do not view our parents or our family favorably. Perhaps it was a very difficult experience that we were through with our family, very painful. Uh, so it can be a huge means of grace, can also be uh, a heartache and, and a tragedy. But there's an unconfirmed story uh, that author G.K. Chesterton uh, was once asked a question in a newspaper, what's wrong with the world today? His answer was, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. And in light of that, I want to suggest that the biggest challenge in parenting teens is the parents. Parents are the biggest challenge. C.H. Spurgeon says, God gives children not as a penalty nor as a burden, but as a favor. They are a token for good if, he has an if, they are a token for good if we know how to receive and educate them. They are doubtful blessings only because we are doubtful people. I would expect a good number of teens listening would agree with what I'm saying and like it. But yep, my parents are the biggest problem in my life. They are an obstacle to overcome. Uh, and I'm fine. I'm fine. But they're the problem, and, uh, and so please do say something to them about their end. Uh, I like to tell my kids, uh, when they had a complaint or two about their parents, that uh, you said your day's coming, 
and I'll, I'll watch with joy. Feel free, feel free to do it a lot better than I've done it. You're welcome to it. Um, but it isn't all that easy, actually. So uh, let's, see, let's see how you do. You can put on a clinic for me. Um, I am happy to say that uh, our three oldest kids are, uh, we've got like 18 grandkids, and, and uh, they're doing wonderful work in parenting, and it is one of the joys of my life to watch them at work. It appears we didn't mess them up too bad um, along the way. So let me share a few thoughts first with any teens that are listening. And I want to mention as well that a sermon from the scriptures, even if it's to a particular topic that's not readily apparent to us, I want to say that God's word always has something for us. And as you listen and hear, even if you aren't parenting teens, maybe think it's never coming your way, uh, there is something of relevance for you to hear from God's word. I also want to point out that the Bible says we are our brother's keeper. And as we live life as a church family and as a community, we will be involved in one another's lives. We will see and observe things. We will encourage people. Uh, we will correct and adjust people at times. So it is important that we, all, that we all listen closely and take in God's word. So a few thoughts for teens. I want to say thanks for listening as you are here today. You, like every other human being, doesn't matter your age, you are accountable to God and God alone for your every thought, your every word, your every action. It is all on you. It is entirely your responsibility. You make choices, you make decisions, and they have real consequences. So in all you're doing, in school, in work, hanging with friends, playing, Never forget God, because God sees all. J.C. Raw put it this way. For another thing, resolve to never forget the eye of God. The eye of God, think of that. Everywhere in every house, in every field, in every company, or alone in a room, the eye of God is always upon you. You may deceive your parents or employers. You may tell them falsehoods and be one thing behind their faces and another behind their backs. But you cannot deceive God. He knows you through and through. He heard what you said as you spoke to people today. He knows what you are thinking at this minute. He has set your most secret sins in the light of his countenance, and they will come out before the world to your shame unless you take heed how little this is really felt. And I speak to all of us. How little, says J.C. Rowell, this is really felt. How many things are done continually which men would never do if they thought they were seen? God sees all. That is not good news. That is dreadful news. It's, for some of us, that's terrifying news. As we contemplate what things we do that we don't want anyone to see. 
But the Bible teaches that we are each responsible for our actions and our sins. So, you as a teenager are responsible for you. The three-year-old is responsible for the three-year-old. We are all responsible for ourselves. So Ezekiel 18, 19 and following, Yet you say, Why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right, and has been careful to observe all my statues, he shall surely live. But the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. And I want to insert, for parents, we can be inclined or prone to take on responsibility for the actions of our kids. Sure, legally, in Pennsylvania at least, we're responsible until age 18 for what they do. But, but we will not bear the consequences, the weight the, of the iniquity of our kids. It's their responsibility. We're responsible for ourselves. They're responsible for themselves. We each have personal responsibility. It goes on. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from his sins he has committed and keeps all my statues and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. And that is good news. We have good news. There's a narrow path that leads to life. The good news is this. Jesus has died for the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The problem we all have coming into the world is we love darkness and we hate light. But Jesus is the light of the world. He commands us to believe and to repent. This requires the grace of God to work in our lives. God, being rich in mercy, must act. He saves us. He regenerates us. He adopts us. This is all sovereign grace. So John Stott says, grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. You could plug in Jesus for grace. Jesus loves the world. He loves us. And he cares, cares enough that he stoops, he condescends to come into this world and he rescues sinners. We are all in need of that grace. But a word to parents who are listening today, we need a Savior as well. Not only do our teens need a Savior, we need a Savior. And as we live for Jesus, we are called to make disciples. Parents disciple teens. It's our work, and what a privilege it is to work the soil of the heart of our teens to prepare them for the seed that is the Word of God. And surely this compels us to pray because you and I cannot save anyone. We need God to work in their lives. So, I said the biggest challenge in parenting teens is the parents. And you might be disagreeing with me. You're free to think, well, that's just my opinion if you like. But let's turn our attention to the words of Jesus and let's see what Jesus has to say. We'll look at Luke 6, 39 to 45, and just look for the biggest challenge as we read this section of Scripture. Luke 6, 39. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? 
will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite, says Jesus. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that is your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. At first glance, the text is not actually about parenting. But when we consider these words with parenting in mind, I suggest the biggest challenge becomes self-evident because the parent is the adult. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? The parent's the adult, the teacher, the discipler, and the example. Jesus lays out these truths in our text, and we lay them over parenting to observe the calling on our lives. So in verse 39, if we are blind guides as parents, will not our children fall into a pit? Uh, this is why community and fellowship matter tremendously in living the Christian life. We don't go at it alone. Verse 40, is it not our responsibility to disciple our children? Yes, it is. Every disciple who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So often you see family resemblances. You see children who act like their parents. Verses 41 and 42. Is it not a reality for parents to see a speck in their teen and somehow be blind to the log in their own eye? Yes, it is possible for that to take place and for that to happen. In verse 45, is it not true that we as parents speak out of the abundance of our hearts? Our words can be words of life or words of death. So Paul Tripp says, the teen years are hard for us because they tend to bring out the worst in us. It's in these years that parents hear themselves saying things they never thought they would say. Parents find themselves responding with accusations, guilt manipulation, and ultimatums, responding with a level of anger they would not have thought possible. We don't radically change in a moment of trial. No, trials expose what has always been. When the heat is turned up, when the sponge is squeezed, what comes out is who we really are. So it's customary for parents to think, my kid's a problem. Uh, my kid's the challenge here. Um, why, why couldn't I have had that kid over there in that family? He seems normal and well-adjusted and listens to them. Why couldn't I have had that one? Uh, and the challenge here is that it is highly likely that if you had that one, uh, they'd be more resembling yours because your parenting has fruit that is born from what you do. And so parenting matters in terms of influence. But so very often, we don't look at ourselves first. 
We don't consider our ways first. So often we look at our teen and consider their ways first. But parenting exists to mature children and the parents. Brian Chappell writes, the challenges of raising a child are as much for the sanctification of the parents as they are for the benefit of the child. Perhaps this is the reason that child rearing, childbearing and rearing come so early in our adult life cycle. Growing families are God's pressure cooker to mature many of us quickly for the spiritual trials he knows are ahead. If we're concerned with our own maturity first, that's the pressing thing we ought to pay attention to, then surely we will pay attention to means of grace that grow us up. By that I mean preaching, singing, the church gathered, prayer, fellowship, scripture, and counsel. Uh, the church gathered in small groups. Uh, we've, we've noticed over the past couple of years and studies and reports show this, the church attendance has declined a bit. And no doubt it's due to COVID and no doubt it's due to things were shut down and, and bad habits uh, tend to take over. We, we tend to drift. But I want to say that we must fight to take in means of grace into our life as much and as often as possible. We do well, for instance, to attend, to attend church regularly. We do well to attend our small groups, our community groups regularly. We do well to fellowship with other saints regularly because these are all means of grace that help sharpen us and help us grow. I encourage you to pay attention to means of grace in your life. In dealing with ourselves first, so in parents being first concerned about themselves, we're concerned about our own growth in godliness. And in this, we need wisdom. We cannot neglect wisdom, and we desire to impart wisdom into our children. Many is the parent who would take obedience and be happy and satisfied. Why can't they just obey? We actually want far more than obedience. We actually want to impart wisdom into their hearts so they know how to live and what to do when we aren't around to tell them what to do. So, Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Our teens become wise as they walk with us, the wise. Therefore, we must pay attention to our wisdom. Proverbs 4, 5 and following. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Wisdom matters tremendously in life. Wise teens exist, but sadly they are all too uncommon. We certainly acknowledge that they're in process, that they're growing up toward maturity, but rare, I say, is the wise teen. Paul Tripp says, most teenagers simply don't hunger for wisdom. So ask a teenager what they want. What do you want in life? Rare is the teen who's going to say wisdom. Very rare. In fact, most think they're much wiser than they actually are, and they mistakenly believe their parents have little practical insight to offer. They tend to think their parents don't really understand or are pretty much out of it. Yet, most teenagers sorely lack wisdom and desperately need loving, biblical, faithfully dispensed correction. 
Well, how do we get wisdom? Trust me here, we aren't born with it. We don't come into the world with wisdom. It's something we must acquire in life. It relates to knowledge. Here's a definition from the ESV Study Bible. Knowledge and wisdom are closely tied together in Proverbs. Knowledge tend to focus on correct understanding of the world and oneself as creatures of the magnificent and loving God, while wisdom is the acquired skill of applying that knowledge rightly or skill in the art of godly living. So if a teen knows how to live life in a godly way, they have wisdom. If you know how to live life in a godly way, you have wisdom. If you lack godliness, you lack wisdom, no matter what you think you know, according to the scriptures. So how does a parent get skill to parent well? How does a parent get wisdom I want to encourage you to pay close attention to compelling examples. Pay attention at and to the families where you look at them and think, that kid seems doing really well. That teen seems mature. I'll wonder what they're, what they're doing. I'll wonder how they got there. Feel free to ask. See what it is that they have done. Um, ask questions in order to learn from those compelling examples. Position yourself in humility as a learner. We often say, well, we're not impressed with ourselves as parents. We often think that way, but is that an acceptable place to be? No, we ought to be growing in maturity. Well, learn from those who seem to be doing a good job. Read books as well. I'll list three of my personal favorites. Um, I, I should mention, with, with Christian books on parenting, I do have a beef. Um, wonderful help and, and very good. But I mentioned it earlier. Um, it seems like in Christian books, parenting always works out. Like, just do this thing and, it, and it's all good. And I'm saying, my kid won't get out of the van. What does one do? at that moment, uh, I don't know. So with that caveat, uh, there is much to recommend. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp, Age of Opportunity by Paul Tripp, and Gospel Powered Parenting by William Farley probably summarizes what I've tried to teach over the years in the best overall sense uh, at, at Living Hope. So um, again, there don't seem to be weaknesses in those parents or families, but, but there is much to commend. When I pull one of those books off the shelf and check it out again, it's like there are always things I have forgotten, things we drifted in as we were parenting. So I find reading books helpful. Uh, have families you trust and respect nearby to observe you. Sin always isolates. Sin always pulls back, always heads to darkness. When you see a family no longer around, there's often something going on in their life because that's the pool of sin. But Beth and I were firmly convinced that we were not all wise, all knowing, and all seeing. So we wanted the eyes of others on us to observe things because, and this is astonishing to me, but you can, have, you can have a teen with a blatantly proud attitude, and the parents don't even seem to notice. They're just oblivious to it, and it's obvious to everybody else. Uh, they're just too close to see it. So um, having others um, 
talking to others about how our kids are doing and our teens is very helpful. Pray and ask God for wisdom. Uh, read the Bible, especially Proverbs, but God promises wisdom for those who ask in faith. And I want to mention that special needs kids are a category all, all of its own. Um, it, uh, it takes a toll on a marriage and particular help is often needed in these difficult situations. Uh, oftentimes, sadly, other parents are more tempted to pile on than come alongside. It can be difficult to understand unless you've been through it personally, what's taking place and what's, what's going on. So I simply want to say that as um, needs that, that press in more deeply, more difficult, do want to encourage folks to seek help, get help, because, because it does take a tremendous toll on a family. After paying attention to yourself as a parent and seeking specific areas of focus that you seek to apply as a parent, um, what, what areas do we want to bring to our parenting? How do we want to work with our teens as we turn our attention to them? I want to mention two things that I want to suggest you never lose sight of, that you, you do with a laser-like focus. It's not rocket science. It's not complicated. Uh, Kevin DeYoung in Crazy Busy says, parenting has become more complicated than it needs to be. It used to be, as far as I can tell, that Christian parents basically tried to feed their kids, clothe them, teach them about Jesus, and keep them away from explosives. Uh, we, think that, we think that's reasonable, but, but we want to look at two areas of focus that we think matter tremendously. Point number one, focus number one, is teaching. Parents must give instruction. Parents are always teaching by example, whether good or bad. But we must verbally instruct as well. Here's how the Old Testament puts it in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You shall teach them diligently to your children is the way we parent. In the New Testament, in Ephesians 6, 4, we read this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there is teaching at work, Old Testament and New Testament. A couple of observations about teaching. Uh, one, parents often seem to lack a plan for teaching. Uh, the more spontaneous types are like, well, yeah, we'll go with the flow. When we're sitting down, we'll talk. When we're walking somewhere, when we're driving, we'll talk. We'll, we'll get at it. But I want to suggest that parents often lack a plan for how they're going to teach. Recently, uh, one family we were working with, uh, we encouraged a list of 12 traits that they wanted to build into the culture of their family. Things like gratitude, 
work, honesty, serving, obeying. And so we encouraged uh, to take them to take uh, one topic for a week and read scriptures and discuss that and apply it that week to try to build it into their lives. Now, you can't just do a week and then drop it for forever, but you can focus on an area. You can bring attention to an area, and that serves because there's repetition and there's focus in our leadership. Stephen Covey writes this, and I think this is gold. He says, I believe most organizations, including our homes, are overmanaged and underled. Overmanaged and underled. And what he means by that is there's insufficient attention paid to where we're going. Like climb the tree, get a tall view, look at where we're going, over and against how we manage through a given day. So we all want peace and quiet in the home. We, we want to get along well, no fights or quarrels, nothing going on like that. So we can be focused on just getting through the day and we're not leading in terms of paying attention to where we're going and what we're trying to build into their lives. We must look further down the road than just how we're doing today as we ponder where we are headed. Next, I want to say uh, another issue with, with teaching is parents, I've noticed, tend to try and instruct their teens in difficult moments. So the teen is angry, the teen is struggling, and you decide that's the great time to give a lecture to them on, on instruction on loving the Lord and how they should be honoring, obeying, etc. And, and the, they're just hitting and bouncing off. Your words aren't really landing at that point. Better to get past that moment to a peaceable moment and teach and instruct them when they aren't frustrated or angry. Don't forget to teach them about Jesus uh, because if we aren't affected by Jesus, why should they be affected by Jesus? Jesus matters more than sports and studies, games. Jesus matters more than everything. We must tell our kids about Jesus as we make them into disciples. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said, Every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church consecrated to Christ and wholly influenced and governed by His rule and two things, family education, that's teaching, and order are some of the chief means of grace. If these fail, all other means are likely to prove ineffectual. If these are duly maintained, all the means of grace will be likely to prosper and be successful. So, parents, that means you can't be failing in family education and order at home and then drop your teen into church and say, okay, pastors, fix them up. Like, like it's on you guys to, to produce this. No, it's the parents' job. We've already seen that. It's the parents' work to make disciples of their kids. We come alongside as pastors and church leaders, but, but it's something that's the role of the parent. So tell them about Jesus. Teach them actions have consequences. You want them to have wisdom. You want them as a teen to fear God more than they fear you. If you're bigger in their eyes than God is, you have a problem on your hands. I was there once. Um, you want them to fear God more than you. Teach them about eternity because we're inclined to just live in the here and now. 
Your team, if they don't hear about eternity from you, probably won't hear about eternity all week long. There's not other sources or locations. Could happen on a Sunday morning, uh, but there likely aren't other locations and sources where that's going to come in to play. Teach them to love people, all people. Um, our kids watched younger kids. They visited the elderly in retirement communities. They related to adults. We wanted them to experience people of all age and to love them. Teach them about worldliness. They got to relate to the world without being self-righteous. So these things all take time. Th these days, so we're old, so we did not parent through um, kids having phones or internet access and social media and everything that attends that. And I am, I am perfectly astonished at how I will notice parents just going along with it all rather than leading their family where they want them to go. And so there are all manner of things that are assumed and accepted that are most unwise, I would suggest. So teach them about worldliness. Point number one, teaching. Point number two, build the relationship with them. Guard the relationship. So we relate and we teach. We teach and we relate. How does one build a relationship with a teen? This is a challenge. But you got to be with them. I don't know of a way to build a relationship with someone and not be with them. And they can be busy. They might have sports. They might have work. They might have things going on. Like, oh, there's just no time. We must make time. We must relate with them. We must spend time together. We must enjoy being together. Uh, there was a season in our lives where I realized the way I was treating my two oldest sons because of actions they were taking, that if, I was, if they were members in my church and I was treating them that way, they would leave if they had a brain. It, it was not right to treat them the way I was treating them. Um, we sought to repent and, and restore the relationship. Work together and play together. Uh, one dad I just spoke with took his son, his 10-year-old son, uh, to hike in the mountains. And, uh, and what a memory it is to go on a hike in the mountains with dad. Uh, that kid will remember that uh, all their life. So you can do local things. You can do it on the cheap. But spend time together doing things that build memories. It's how you make a relationship. Listen to them to understand them. Don't just talk. Don't just teach them. Often, uh, oftentimes a teen would rather talk to somebody else than talk to their parent. Why would that be? The parent wants to hear, right? Well, yeah, the parent wants to hear. But oftentimes we're interrupting. Uh, we're wanting to get our point across. And we aren't hearing and understanding what they're saying and where they are. Show interest in their interests. Uh, they might not enjoy what you enjoy. My oldest son played tennis and loved tennis, and uh, we enjoyed tennis together, and we loved to watch the four majors every year in tennis. Uh, my number two son uh, loved rollerblading. He's he, very good at rollerblading, but I didn't get the rollerblading thing. Um, didn't understand the attraction and didn't rollerblade. Never put skates on in my life. Never expect to. And, uh, but I went to his events. He did some exhibitions and demonstrations. I went to them 
because I wanted to show interest in what he was doing. Whether I liked it or not wasn't so much the issue. I wanted to connect with my son. Remember to encourage them. Encouraging teens is difficult. Uh, here's Gary and Betsy Ricucci in Love That Lasts. Speaking of marriage, but the same thing applies in our encouragement. They say when it comes to encouragement, there's an odd, tragic thing we can do in marriage. When our spouse has a chronic weakness, we can be tempted to withhold encouragement in that area. I don't want my husband to think this area is no longer a weakness for him, a wife might say to herself. If I encourage him, he might think he's arrived and give up trying to change. Well, encouragement, we're commanded to encourage one another daily. Encouragement is best suited, best designed when we're speaking words of life to someone where there is an absence of something or where growth in something is needed. It's not so much encouragement if we're just thanking them for some good thing they did. That's good too, but encouragement is putting strength into someone for a challenge that they are facing. Finally, to be in a relationship means you know and are known. You share your life with your teens as you ask them to share their lives with you. So you go first. So if you ask them to be more humble than you are, if you ask them to be better fellowship than you are, if you ask them to initiate more than you initiate, well, you're the adult. Uh, you need to be setting the pace in that regard. So you want to model that for them. So let me close. Ultimately, I remind you, your hope is in the Lord, not your methods. Yes, we teach. Yes, we relate. Yes, we grow in our own godliness. But our hope is in the Lord because we can't save anyone. Parenting isn't ultimate, but it is influence. And so Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So we need the Lord to build the house, but we do labor. And that labor is very important. Parents are an important means of grace. We seek to build a family. We seek to make disciples, but we do so in a fallen world. The work is glorious and rewarding, but the work is also dangerous because it is spiritual warfare. Satan wants your team. Satan wants your child. So we do not fear, we do fight, and I say again, we must pray, and I want to encourage husbands and wives to pray together as they are parenting. One puts a thousand to flight, two puts ten thousand to flight. Prayer together is, is quite important. I'll leave you with Ephesians 6, 16 to 18. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I want to exhort you to keep alert. Keep your head in the game not to drift, and I want to encourage you to persevere. You can't win at something if you quit. So we persevere, we press on, we press on even if it seems like there is no apparent fruit or reaction. Uh, with our son Jared, um, he could diss us, dismiss us with uh, Hall of Fame skills, and uh, I remember thinking numerous times 
This is a waste of time right now. I really wish I was talking to that wall because the response would be similar, only I wouldn't have a bad attitude coming at me from the wall. Um, but Jared, uh, we persevered, we endured, we prayed, and by the grace of God, God came through. And when we, years later, asked Jared, what, what, what helped you turn around? He said, you guys stayed on message, you didn't flip-flop, you just kept saying the same stuff and doing the same stuff. And uh, it basically is a storm that you're in, and somebody's going to wear somebody down. And who, who's it going to be? Who's going to be worn down? Uh, we, by the grace of God, stayed on track, kept saying the same things, kept at it, and God ended up coming through, and all glory to Him. So pay attention to your godliness. It's easy for us parents to be hypocrites. It's really easy. It's always an inch away. And I want to encourage you to teach and relate, to relate and teach as you go through the adventure of parenting your teens. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of children that you've given us. Lord, we, we want to know how to receive and educate them. We don't want to be doubtful people. So I pray for a personal example. Help us to grow in godliness. Help us to be sharpened in our lives as we are disciples. I pray that you'd give us a heart of wisdom. Help us to know, as parents, how to teach and how to relate to our teens. And I pray for our teens that they would live life aware that God sees and God knows. And there are no secrets. And I pray that God would be much larger than anyone or anything in life. And I pray that they would live their lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.